0: 18 through 30. We continue in our journey through the Gospel of Luke. Um, uh, We have Jesus. Uh, We discuss Jesus being in the desert and being tempted by Satan. And now Jesus comes home uh, to his uh, home in Nazareth. And he's going to announce the beginning of his ministry. And what a bombshell it is. So uh, let's take a look at it. This is Jesus. He comes... And uh, there's a little bit of put this part that's missing, but he comes to the synagogue as was his custom, and the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him, and he stands up and he begins to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And there were many lepers in in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The word of the Lord. We got a bill uh... in the mail from my friendly medical insurance company a small paltry sum of two thousand dollars uh... for a medical procedure somewhat we thought standard medical procedure that my wife had uh... needless to say uh, we said can you itemize that and they went ahead and brought us back something that was sort of like a five bullet point that really didn't tell us anything else uh... and uh... so we're left with this Huge bill, two thousand uh, bucks. We're appealing it, trying to figure out what's going on. But it seems like constantly we're getting things from uh, our medical insurance company related to healthcare. I believe I'm not the only one in this particular circumstance. Uh, maybe healthcare is just a, a fun blast for you, uh, but it's challenging. In fact, it's challenging for the nation. Uh, in the year 2015, it's. Uh, estimated there will be $3.8 trillion spent in health care. And yet the health problems continue. We know with Obamacare and the efforts of the administration to solve this problem, uh, despite a tremendous amount of money and time and effort and promise, the problems of health in America continue. The three major killers of people in, the, in uh, America today, number one, heart disease. A large piece of heart disease, if we take a look at it, is, prevent- is preventable. There's a buildup in the arteries of this plaque, uh, which are, is a result of cholesterol and other issues. And uh, lo and behold, it's like we're eating ourselves to death. Not everyone, mind you. There's genetics, there's issues like that. But heart disease. There's other issues. Uh, cardiopulmonary problems, uh, dealing with smoke and so forth. A lot of this list, if you look at it, the top 10 killers, are things that we can do something about. And despite trying to solve the problem from without, it's within. But there's some problems in the human body that we don't even understand why they occur. And they just come upon us and they, and they attack us. You know, the second and third leading causes of death are cancer and autoimmune disorders. Cancer is a strange disease. Our bodies create cells when we're young, when we're growing, but as we get older our bodies create cells uh, when cells die off. They're in maintenance mode so to speak. But for some reason some of these cells, their DNA gets corrupted and instead of producing the amount of cells that they should, they keep producing. These bad cells, they're replicating and replicating and these masses grow and build. Uh, our, Our system starts working against us. It's the same way with autoimmune diseases. Uh, Muscular sclerosis, uh, diabetes, arthritis, Crohn's disease. This one's even stranger. It's an autoimmune disease because our autoimmune system which is designed to fight infection actually for some reason turns on us. Misidentifies the problem and attacks us. And now we are faced with a problem from within which we cannot solve. I think health problems are very similar to spiritual problems. A lot of problems in the world that are spiritual. A lot of maladies. A lot of things pushing on us from the outside. I think of our brothers and sisters in Syria. And in a host of different countries that are feeling the weight of the oppression. Of other religions, of atheism, of communism. But the vast majority of spiritual disease is in my heart. It's not from without. It's from within. And unless I recognize that I cannot solve the problems of the human heart from without, that I have to come from within, I will be misdiagnosing the problem. I need healing within before healing without. This encounter that Jesus has with this group deals specifically with this issue. See, this group believes that what is outside is a problem and Jesus has come to fix it. But what Jesus says is, the problem is not out there. The problem is within you. I've come to heal you. And they take offense to the point of trying to kill him. Well, Jesus' message, which is for them, is the same for us. As we gather together to hear from Jesus, we also have to ask the question, where are the problems in my life? Are they out there? Problems to be solved? Or am I willing to hear Jesus' words that He came to heal the problems inside of me? Who or what in your life could you change if you could change anything? Jesus says this is what you need to do to truly experience experience healing. Number one, you have to look in, not look out. Look in, not out. That's number one. Number two, then after looking in, you have to look up, not in. Look out, from looking out to looking in, from looking in to looking up, and then from looking up to leaping. That's my third point. Looking, then leaping. So look in, not out. Look up, not in. And then look, and then leap. When you finally begin to grasp that you are the worst of sinners, you will finally begin to understand that Jesus is the greatest of saviors. That's the purpose of this sermon today. Well, let's move to our first point. Look in, not out. We see here that Jesus came to Nazareth and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue and he stood up to read. Now, Jesus had already, we can see, acquired some sort of reputation. They had heard some of the healings or miracles he had done in Capernaum. And so, uh, the boy comes home and people are very, very curious. Now, people who were of a some sort of interest or standing or something uh, would be the ones to read the scripture and could comment on the scripture. So Jesus comes to the synagogue and they want to know what he has to say. So he says, read, they say read something and he chooses Isaiah 61. Which the people love by the way and you'll see why. And Jesus reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and says this has been fulfilled. The crowd has a very strange response to this, don't they? To understand what they're thinking, you have to understand what Jesus has said, but even more importantly, what Jesus has not said. See, we are living, we are here in Nazareth. And a little background about Nazareth. Nazareth is in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. Okay, remember when the twelve sons of Israel were given the land? Uh, uh, To Naphtali and uh, Zebulun, the two sons of Israel, was given the northern part of the land. This is Galilee and some of the surrounding area, which butts up against Assyria. So they're on the outskirts, so to speak. Well they never fully took the land because they were disobedient. And indeed in 723 the king of Assyria Tilgeth came and basically mowed down the Galileans. Took the land for Assyria and deported all of the people. And so it became known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Well in a fervent spirit of nationalism in the second and first century the Maccabees, perhaps you've heard of them, uh, who were zealous for the Kingdom of Israel came and destroyed uh, the enemies there in the Galilean territory, and they settled uh, they settled Jews there and they created the town of Nazareth so Nazareth, Nazareth was a settler town, this Galilee of the Gentiles, which uh, the, uh, the uh, Maccabees were seeking to be Nazareth of the Jews. Galilee of the Jews was the birthplace of those people who were called the Zealots. Okay, remember there's the Pharisees, there's the Sadducees, they're the real religious people who are really concerned with the law. There's a group called the Essenes who just want to retreat from everything. And there's a fourth group and they're called the Zealots. And the Zealots are exactly what you think they are. The zealots see that the problem with Israel. Is all of these people who are oppressing Israel. The Romans who have occupied Israel. The Roman Empire essentially which is surrounding them. If we could simply purge ourselves of these people we would be fine. And so they take up the tradition of the, of the Maccabees. Uh, they were called the daggermen actually. Because they, they carried the Roman dagger. It was Judas the Galilean who started the zealots. And was responsible for the first uprising. When Quirinius, Quirinius, Quirinius taxed the people. Remember that? And Jesus had to go. Uh, Joseph and Mary had to go. To uh, Bethlehem. Judas the Galilean rose up. And the zealots kept fighting to the end. I don't know if you remember when. Uh, at the end of the day when the Romans came to basically. Uh, destroy Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, The last remaining holdout was Masada. And the Masada Masada was filled with who? The zealots. We're going to fight to the death. And so the problem for the zealots, the problem for the people in this area, is out there. And this passage is one of their favorites that their homeboy begins to read because it continues on. It says, I proclaim the day of good news. And Jesus stops there, but if he went on, it would say, and a day of vengeance for our God. If you keep reading, it says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. See, when this Messiah comes, all of this wreckage and carnage, all of this destruction, our cities will be glorious again. The kingdom will rise Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. These aliens, these Romans, these people, they will finally come back. They will become our slaves. They will do our work. We will be priests and kings. But they will be put in their proper place under our feet. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. We will plunder them. And instead of their shame, my people receive a double portion. A double portion of the land and everlasting joy will be theirs. So you can see when Jesus starts to read this passage, they begin to sit on the edge of their seats. As they proclaim what is to come. Their victory over external forces. And then Jesus stops. Verse 22 says they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said is not this Joseph's son? Now a lot of people ask the question what do they mean when they spoke well of him? Did they applaud him? Did they think he was doing a a great speech here? The words in Greek literally mean and they witnessed him. They spoke well of him from the standpoint of they marveled at what he was saying. They were astonished that this boy, this uneducated boy who was now a man would come and would proclaim this message and they were confused that he would stop there. See we can see right away that they respond with incredulity because they spoke well of him and said, Isn't this Joseph's son? The carpenter? Is he saying that he's the Messiah? We're looking for the Maccabees. We're looking for a super zealot. A warrior king like David who is going to come and free us from oppression. And lo and behold, here is the son of a carpenter saying this passage is fulfilled. Indeed in Matthew and Mark, if you read this passage, they say, isn't this Joseph's son? And they took offense at him. Jesus responds, Doubtless you will quote to me, physician, heal yourself. But I tell you that a prophet is more acceptable in his own, is not acceptable in his own hometown. Oh, and, then, and then he really lights the fire right here. Listen to what he says. I tell you the truth, there are many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. But Elijah was sent to none other, uh, uh, to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. A woman who was a widow. She wasn't even a Jew. And he, Elijah was sent to, to her, to heal her in the famine. And there were many leopards in Israel in the time of Elisha. And none of them was cleansed. But only Naaman the Syrian. Actually the king of Syria healed. What is Jesus saying? I've come. But you're not listening. Because you don't see the problem is not out there. The problem is you. Their response is wrath and anger. They had something akin to what was called the lynch law back then. If in the synagogue if someone was so blasphemous against God that his words were so incendiary they could take him and just kill him right then and there because of his offense and so that's what they went to do. But what Jesus said was I did not come to free you from them. I came to free you from you. You know as I look at these people in the synagogue I think I can't help but think of myself and of us. You know, we all have problems, injustices in our life, don't we? Circumstances that have come up against us, we feel trapped by them. Maybe relationships where we feel wronged. If we could just solve whatever that problem is out there, all would be fine. And so when Jesus comes, we expect Him to perform. To play to the crowd. Come and fix it. But all too often Jesus doesn't. And we're angry. And we're mad. But Jesus' message is the same to us as it's to them. I've come to free you from you. I've come to work on your heart. Don't worry about circumstances. The problem is not out there. The problem is you. And we're angry when he doesn't fix what we want. I remember when I was i I'd left ministry was involved with young life in my twenties and it was time to get out of ministry and go into business and I got involved with business development and uh, what got into a job uh, where there was a tremendous amount of upside um, uh, and uh, luckily I sort of uh, hit the oil well I found uh, I had a great opportunity it came together Uh, they had a saying you eat what you kill And uh, luckily, I brought down a big one, and my numbers began to rise. And my standard of living began to rise. But as the numbers rose, all too often there would be challenges with the commission structure. You ever deal with that? With your boss? Wait a second, the numbers mean this, the numbers... But I had gotten used to living a certain way. There were things, it seemed like the more that I acquired, the more that I wanted... Satisfaction was somewhat elusive. But I saw the problem as out there. I needed more money. I needed a more understanding boss. I needed to fix this. God come and fix this. But the truth of the matter was the problem wasn't out there. The problem was in here. It was greed. It was darkness of my heart. It was the idol of possessions. I needed to be free. But not free from outside, free from inside. What are you looking for from Jesus? Maybe you have a challenge with your job. You've been passed over for promotion. Your boss doesn't like you. Your coworkers talk about you, and you come home frustrated every day. God fix them. Fix this problem. Maybe it's your spouse you have a problem with. They don't give you what you need. They're not kind to you. They don't, whatever it is, I don't know. God fix them. My life would be so much better if you would simply fix them. But God never seems to, does He? The problem's not out there, my friends. The problem is here. I'm not making light of your circumstances. Some of them are very real. But we'll never be happy until God does a healing work inside of our hearts. Sets us free from the inside. And so we must recognize that my circumstances are not my problem. We must respond. We must be responsible to look out. Not look in. Let's say that again. Not look out. Look in. See not the darkness outside of myself, but the darkness in my heart. For before Christ can be my warrior, Christ needs to be my Savior. It's only when you finally begin to grasp that you are the worst of sinners that you will begin to understand that He is the greatest of saviors. So we must not look out, but look in. Well, this brings me to my second point. Then if we look in, we must then look up my friends. The message of Jesus is offensive. It's designed to be offensive because it speaks directly to you. It says that you are broken. It says that you need help. That you need healing. Jesus says, I've come for you. There's a reason you need a Savior. It's only if you're a sinner. Some people say to me, oh, I don't believe any of this, Carlos. You know what? Christianity is a crutch. That's what it is. My response is, you're absolutely right. The only problem is everybody's a cripple. We're all cripples, aren't we? We have more than enough, but we're never satisfied. We have love, but we want worship. We have future, but we want comfort. Jesus has come because we need healing from the inside and we cannot heal ourselves we are not the physician who can heal ourselves and so Jesus as he speaks these words shares with us what he wants to do in our hearts why does Jesus come number one he comes to bring us the power of God the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me the Spirit of God that's spoken of so many times in the Old Testament. We hear that the spirit which will rest on him is a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of power, of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. This power. Lord, I need power in my life. I feel like I'm trapped. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. I don't know how many Zig Ziglar tapes one can buy or Tony Robbins tapes or Weight Watchers plans or makeup or I don't know to try to fix the problem that is inside of me but I can't I need power and I need wisdom I need to understand when things happen to me what is going on you know people have asked my wife and I a lot concerning the death of our son we don't understand why you can put in this perspective, if I were you. And the truth of the matter is, before our son died, there's no way we could have understood it. But the Spirit of the Lord brings wisdom and understanding. And though the pain is great, God has allowed us to see because of his Spirit that dwells within us and to find peace in the midst of those circumstances. He comes to bring the power of God. God says, has I not my hand? He's come to proclaim good news to the poor. This power of God goes to poor people. Not poor from the economic sense. Certainly it's a part of it. But whenever this word is used in the Old Testament, it speaks of those who are poor in spirit. Those who are humble. Those who are weak those who can't be the father they want to be or the husband or the girlfriend or the boyfriend or the worker or the disciple i've come to bring power to give good news to you who are poor that i am strong jesus says through the prophet isaiah hast thou not heard that the everlasting god the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not neither is weary He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. There is no searching of his understanding. I've come to bring you power. But then he says also, I've come to bring you light. Bring sight to the blind. We can't see our sin, you know? These folks that they're sitting around in this synagogue, Jesus speaking right to them, and they're blind. They can't see the fact that they're sinners. They can't see the world for what it is. We're going from illusion to illusion. Marketing strategy to marketing strategy. We're blind. We don't see one another, do we? we somebody gives us a comment. We talk to one another. We're wondering, what are they thinking? We instinctively assume the worst. We meet a stranger. We wonder what's their game? What's their angle? We don't get along. Why do you think there's war? It's because we don't understand one another. Our world is in darkness. Jesus said, I came to bring sight to the blind. Finally, we don't see God for who he is. Just like these Nazarenes, God's right in front of them. He's saying, I'm come to bring you sight, and they say, we want to kill you. We have to be able to see. The worst thing is to be blind and not even to know it. But Jesus said, I came to bring sight to the blind. He brings the power of God. He came to bring the light of God. Finally, He came to bring the liberty of God. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If I am honest with myself, I can see that I am not truly free. I'm a captive to sin. The things I don't want to do, sometimes I do. I'm a puppet of Satan. He whispers a word in my voice and for some reason I buy it hook, line and sinker. I'm a puppet, a marionette as he influences me with this world. In the beginning, as I was younger, I was cocky and confident. Nothing can stop me. And I just play into his... Uh, plan and now, after I've been beat up enough, now I'm afraid. When he whispers, and he says, "You better not do that. You know what's going to happen." I'm in a prison of my own making. But Jesus said, "I came to rescue you from him, from yourself, from sin, from the oppressor. I came to set you free." one of the things when somebody dies, I don't know if you've signed to be an organ donor on your card, uh, but there's some great organizations. LifeNet is actually uh, located here. And one of the things that came up with Mark passed away is, uh, you know, there's some opportunities. Mark is young. Do you want some of his organs and other things to be used to help people? And the answer uh, we said was absolutely. You know, Mark was in the business of giving life. And one of the things that are is extremely valuable that I never thought about is your cornea. There are a lot of people that have eye disease. And as a result go blind they cannot see. But the cornea is a very very important part of the eye that can be replaced. I think corneas on the open market are like a hundred thousand dollars. on The black market. They're extremely expensive. But people who donate their corneas can give them and then other people who are blind can see we um, my friend uh, Britt Visser who's an orthodontist uh, had somebody who came into his office and through some conversation found out uh, that he was at Norfolk Christian and started sharing about Mark and it turned out that this person I believe it was uh, her sister's niece was the one who received Mark's cornea and now that person can see see Jesus said I've come because you're blind I've come so you can see and I'm willing to give you my sight Jesus said I've come that you might have light and I'm willing to go into the tomb I've come that you may have freedom and so I'm willing to become a prisoner Jesus didn't come to free us from them. He came to free us from us. And it's when I begin to realize that I am the worst of sinners that needs healing. It's only then I can discover that Jesus is the greatest of saviors. This brings me to my final point. Actually, before I say that... I don't know if you ever say to God this, but this is exactly what this passage is about. God, I need your power. There's no point of receiving a promise if you don't act on it, right? Jesus came to them and He gave them everything and they said, no thanks. What do you say as Christ stands in front of you today through this word? I've been anointed to bring you the Spirit. God, I need your power. I need the power to forgive that family member who did me wrong. I need the power to renew that relationship, to say I'm sorry. Lord, I need the power. I'm enslaved to hate. I'm enslaved to discrimination. I see certain types of people and I'm angry at them. I'm enslaved to my pride. I'm enslaved to sin. Maybe you're addicted. You're addicted to pornography. Nobody knows about it. It's just you. It's got a hold on you. Maybe you're addicted to food or you're a bulimic. You're anorexic. You have this picture of your life. It's got a hold on you. You can't let go of it. What is it that you need power for? Christ says, I come to bring it. What do you need light for? God, I need your light. Because when I look in the mirror, all I can see is an ugly unwanted person my life is dark in my depression and I'm afraid and there's no one that can seem to reach into the darkest places of my heart Jesus said I came to bring sight to the blind and finally Lord I need your freedom I need you to free me from the evil one because I'm tired of being a puppet we have to move from looking out to looking in And finally we have to move from looking in to looking up. And then this brings me to my final point. Once we look up we have to leap. It's interesting to notice the response of these people, right? I've kind of boiled it down to three ways you can respond to this message. Number one, you can deny it. Isn't this Joseph's son? The carpenter? Come on, that's way too much promise from someone who seems so silly. So I'm going to discount it. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to test it. I'm going to just walk away. It's too dangerous. What if I put my heart into it? I'm going to deny it. Or better, or worse, I'm going to reject it. I'm going to shout at the top of my lungs, stop talking to me. And I'm going to seek to kill him. Get rid of that voice that says I need healing. I am one of the daggermen. Stop telling me I need to be healed wonder how many people in that group were part of the peer pressure, you know? we got to get this guy out of here. But you can't stop Jesus, can you? The whole town went out to throw him out. And he walked right on his way. Because Jesus' mission wasn't done. You can deny him, you can reject him, or you can receive him. Jesus shows how to receive him in this passage. Naaman the Syrian... Okay? They come because there's a prophet and he meets Alicia. Elisha doesn't send out a big retinue or anything like that. The king's offended. I'm the king. And he says, Here's what you have to do go wash in that stream over there and you'll be fine. It's like a muddy little stream over there. Naaman, the king of Syria, he stomps off. He says, How many rivers do I have in Syria? Gorgeous, beautiful, clean, mountain spring water. I'm going to leave. And they said, Well, if he had told you to do this, would you have done it? And so what does he do? He puts his pride in his hand and he goes and he washes. And he comes out cleansed. How about the widow? Elisha meets the widow. She's got this much bread left. It's my last meal. I'm going to cook it and then we're going to die. And the prophet says, Give it to me. Heck no. But... She does. And in that gift of leaping, the food and the oil is multiplied again and again. She experiences fullness instead of famine. All faith requires action. I'm weak. So God says, Take my hand. I can't see. So Jesus says, "Let me guide you. Will you follow?" I'm a. Priest. Jesus says, "Take my hand and follow me. I'll lead you out of here." If you're a Christian, excuse me. If you're not a Christian, Jesus has come for you. He says, "Today, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. I came to free you." If you want to know what it means to be truly free, give your life to Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, Jesus came not only to free you from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Jesus' message is as true today when you go home at your office as it is when you came to faith. So when I keep coming up against myself in that moment, Lord, I need your power and your light. Guess what? It's there when you feel temptation and circumstances and the voices come listen ask Christ for strength he'll give you what you need I don't know if you've heard the story of Katie Mueller I'll finish with this Katie was recently killed by ISIS she was uh, uh, with uh, A humanitarian aid mission she was working with Doctors Without Borders and she was captured by ISIS and she was detained. Well before she uh, died she wrote a letter out and described how she was doing. And she loved Christ Katie and so she shared how she was doing. She says she wrote everyone if you are receiving this letter it means I'm still detained but my cellmates have been released. Please know that I am in a safe condition, completely unharmed. I, have, I want you to know uh, through a well thought out letter how I'm doing because I don't know when I'll see you. I could only but write this letter a paragraph at a time. Just the thought of you all sends me into a fit of tears. If you could say I have suffered at all throughout this whole experience, it is only in knowing how much suffering I have put you all through. I will never ask you to forgive me as I do not deserve forgiveness. I remember Mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I've come to a place, an experience, where in every sense of the word, I've surrendered myself to our Creator. Because literally, there was no one else. But by God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. I have been shown in darkness light. And I have learned that even in prison, one can be free. I am grateful and I have come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. I pre- pray each day that if nothing else you have felt a certain closeness and surrender to God as well. I miss you. Isn't that powerful? I've been tenderly cradled and freeful and I've learned that even in prison one can be free. Jesus came to give sight to the blind the spirit of life to the dead freedom for the captives it's only when you finally begin to grasp that you are the worst of sinners that you can truly begin to understand that he is the greatest of saviors and so hear the message that Jesus gives today don't deny it don't reject it but receive it and enjoy the blessing. For Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful message and yet we miss it. We're so busy, Lord, wanting you to do something for us that we miss the point that you want to do something to us. Lord, free us from the evil one free us from this world and most of all free us from ourselves we want to see we want to live and we want to be free we ask for nothing less than this lord for surely you're able to accomplish it I pray all these things in christ's name amen